Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome once again to the Sports Pro Podcast. My name is Owen Connolly. I'm the editor-at-large at Sports Pro. Hope you're well. We are going to be talking this time about sponsorship and the agency sector, about how brands have been activating their partnerships in these strange old sporting times, how their plans might be changing in the next few years, and what role agencies are going to play in all of that. Our guest is Louise Johnson, the Chief Executive for the UK and EMEA at the sports and entertainment marketing agency Fuse. And the backdrop for the discussion is the roadmap progressing here in the UK to bring fans soon and finally back to live events in large numbers. What in the short term will that mean for brands promoting their associations in venues and public spaces again alongside new and traditional media? How will the balance of physical and digital activities shift in the longer term and why? Louise was on hand to run through all of those topics and to expand on the experiences of Fuse in the last year. And she gave some of her thoughts on where marketing agencies can add value now in the sports industry, how working models can adapt, the practicalities of change, and the new consultancy service Fuse Ignite that's been launched specifically to help rights holders with some of these issues. Hopefully should be lots in there that you find useful and thought-provoking. But before we do press on, a couple of things to look out for. Issue 113 of Sports Pro Magazine is going to be with you very soon indeed in both print and digital forms. We'll take a look inside those pages on the next edition of the podcast uh, and you'll find further details imminently on sportspromedia.com. And your regular reminder about Sports Pro Live, our upcoming flagship virtual event. Uh, It's going to be running from the 28th to the 30th of April with some terrific headline speakers and panels lined up as well as masterclass and show-and-tell sessions that should add a whole new dimension for you. Lots to recommend. You might have heard much of it already on the podcast. If you do want to find out more and register, head to sportsprolive.com. All of that to come. Right now, we have a very interesting chat with Louise Johnson. So let's get to it. Print, digital, events, podcasts, sports pro. Louise Johnson, Fuse Chief Executive for the UK and EMEA. Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. Uh, Louise, we're going to be talking about the agency sector. We're going to be talking about uh, brand marketing in, in sport, uh, talking about activations, and particularly in light of the fact that we now have a roadmap towards what we hope is going to be the permanent reopening of sports venues to fans in the next few weeks and months here in the UK. Um, just to set the terms, though, first of all, a lot of people, particularly in this country, will be familiar with Fuse. But um, what kind of work does Fuse do as a marketing agency? What are uh, what are the the, the parameters of, of your operation there? Yeah, sure. So, um, so Fuse is part of um, Omnicom Media Group and we're the sport and entertainment marketing team. So we range from partnership consultancy, so helping brands uh, work out how to navigate partnerships and, and go and acquire them based on their brand and business needs, um, to commercial consultancy through to activation. So coming up with big creative ideas for campaigns, activating them through the line, whether that's through creative PR uh, events, experiential, when they come back, um, to uh, data and insight to, to 
effective measure and effectiveness of those partnerships as well. So a full service agency, um, really sort of focusing on sport and entertainment. Yeah. And what was the weighting of the work that you were doing? If we if we go back, what's well, more than 12 months now, amazingly, mm. but if we go back to the start of 2020, what was, um, how much experiential were you doing? How much of the measurement were you doing? What what was, uh, was the breakdown for you? Yeah, sure. I think, um, you know, pretty much, um, you know, a majority, a big chunk of our, our revenue comes from from partnerships um, and then it's from strategy and then events and, and PR um, and then measurements. So I think, you know, if we look back to 12 months ago, we actually were in a sort of, you know, started the year from a real position of strength, actually. You know, we were on track for our best ever year yet. We had, you know, Olympic activate, we had brands with Olympic activation. We had um, the Euros. We had um, five clients in, you know, champions five clients in um, UEFA uh, tournaments and we had something like over 50 brand activations um, planned for the summer across festivals or different sort of product launches up and down the country so of course <laughs> when um, when Covid hit um, we took you know we took a big hit uh, of course as you know live sports shut down um, for, for the first time since World War Two. so cancellations postponements and, and lots of client uncertainty it was um, it was a real sort of big shock to the system actually and it all happened within about two weeks, um, as you as you well remember. So it was a big shock to the system. Yeah, and it, it's I think it's important that you mention festivals there because mm. this is definitely a space when we think, particularly on the supply side. This is definitely a space where there is a lot of overlap between sport and entertainment. You know, we get into in the sports industry, it can it can get to be a, a bit of a bubble, and everyone is thinking about the very specific challenges that rights holders and broadcasters have in that area a lot of the companies that you'll be working with over the next few months and you would have been working with in 2019 will have had work cancelled at music festivals that have had work cancelled at cultural events over the summer that couldn't do in person in the same way that have had work cancelled at brand launches and all types of things I mean how challenging has that been um, over the last year? I think, you know, we, we had sort of a two-step process. Um, first of all, we had to shift gear at speed um, because of what happened, you know, after the sort of first two weeks with our heads in our hands when we were reading, you know, all the BBC Sport alerts coming through that the Premier League could shut down, um, Champions League was on was being suspended, Formula One had been suspended, and we were like, goodness, this is our, our whole business and livelihood. However, after that, we had to really shift very quickly. And I think step one was, you know, obviously helping our clients through crisis management, um, and understanding what we could, what we couldn't do, but then also quickly pivoting all of those assets from a physical world into a virtual world. And I'm sorry to use the word pivot. I think it's probably the most overly used word in the last 12 months by sponsorship agencies, but it is true. That's kind of what we had to do. Um, and I think, you know, a large part of that was understanding what we could actually move into that virtual world, but also as well, sort of protecting revenue streams from, um, from the business. You know, we were very creative in coming up with not only how do do we protect our fees by creating new concepts and new um, new ideas for these clients' physical assets to go into a virtual world? And I think we did some great work with Sportsbet and uh, Watford, which was a great example of that. But we also had to look at new revenue streams as well to sort of innovate our own commercial models. So you know, saying to clients, so pay pay what it's worth, or you know, buy now, pay later, um, and doing revenue revenue share with, with partners. But I think you know, we we did have to 
really kind of go and take a step back and go, right, how do we make the most of this? We've got, you know, a huge amount of properties, a huge amount, as I say, 50 pretty much 50 events across the summer, a large part of those were festivals. We quickly looked for opportunities. So, for example, we worked with Tomorrowland. How could PepsiCo, who had sponsored you know a huge amount of events during the summer how could they still have that presence so we looked at you know virtual dj competitions um, we looked at um, virtual festivals we created our own festivals um, so we did a huge amount of work for tuborg who have tuborg open which is their global music campaign but how could that live on a more frequent basis through um, virtual music events and then for pepsico how we work with tomorrowland to actually create a bespoke um, festival which can then go online. So that happened incredibly quickly. And I think, you know, um, I think our, our sort of industry is not particularly known for being that creative and innovative. But actually, if you look back, I think over the last 12 months, I've seen the most innovation from that over the past five years, which has been incredibly positive. And actually, we, you know, we had some great success. Um, we've managed to, because of that, pick up a few new clients along the way. Um, you know, we've expanded, um, you know, our, our footprint into other markets. And I think, you know, we've actually negotiated some of the, the biggest deals as well during COVID, because one of the other things is that we had to look at how we could protect our clients' rights, but also a longer term partnership with those rights holders contracts. And it was very, very important to, you know, of course, mitigate future risk with force majeure, which of course force majeure was a, a sort of you know a hot potato anyway, but able to making sure that we were working with rights holders not to you know slam them because you know pandemic was nobody's fault you know yeah. we didn't it wasn't our fault it wasn't rights holders fault it was nobody's fault so we had to work in a true partnership and I think lots of brands and rights holders talk about being a true partnership but again I do think I look back at some of our um, our clients and I do think actually you know we we did manage to really help them work in a true partnership and help those rights holders get through a difficult time but at the same time making sure that those brands got the right value back to them for future campaigns or tournaments to making sure that they weren't losing value as well so it was an incredibly interesting time, a lot of research and development, actually. I think actually some, some fantastic work came out of it. I think some really strong relationships came out of it as well between rights holders and brands. But I also think between ourselves and our own clients, you know, we've got much stronger client relationships now because of the 12 months, because you're in it together. You're trying to work out solutions. You're trying to navigate, um, you know, pretty much things changing I would say week by week, but it was pretty much day by day. Um, and I think we all had to get really comfortable with leading from point to point. Mm. You know, you'd go in with the week with a base plan, but actually that would constantly change. And I think being able to constantly update your clients and rights holders to say, this is what you know we're going to be doing and, and constantly telling them the different change of direction was really important so um so yeah it was it was you know we look back and go oh my goodness it was brutal but you also look back and go it was a fantastic time for innovation and, and r&d and, and a, a great test of true partnerships in our industry as well something i want to get onto is really the way that um not just the crisis but the way that brand activations are changing the way that um the the needs of sponsors and and uh, and event partners are changing is affecting the way that agencies think about themselves and their own work and and you know the the value that they add to the industry but without dwelling on this period for too long what did you make of the agility the flexibility that you had within your own organization because obviously it's very easy for agencies to get very good at or anyone in a service business to get very good at delivering a specific thing 
and you know that specific thing goes away and you don't have anything else to fall back on and i think um one of our guests recently called it the innovator's dilemma where you get really really good at you know delivering to a specific set of outcomes in a specific set of conditions and the risk is then in trying to do something else um what did you find yeah about your the capacity to do different things and to to provide different services in that time and what did that make you think about what the role of an agency is yeah really good question actually and i think um you know, could you look back and you think, goodness, it was a bit like the World Wide West. Um, and one of our, our agency values is being restless. And I think that's really kicked in, actually. I think as a business, we were all very restless to go, right, OK, let's think about what's happening, how we can move this forward, not just, you know, repeat and rinse. How do we change and adapt? And again, everyone talks about being agile, but we had to be, you know, I, I think that's a, that's a given. Um, you know, I think an example is we work for Santander, the PepsiCo and, and Nissan for the Champions League finals and we have a specific Champions League finals team that work on that for about sort of you know nine months of the year and they lead up to the final huge huge massive programs across experiential social um, guest program and actually when you know everything was up in the air we didn't know what was happening we didn't know when the finals were going to happen could anybody actually go there and when we did get the green light we were able to create a fantastic campaigns pretty much based on um, a, a virtual and digital experience for guests, for um, you know campaigns across social. And actually, I think that's probably some of the best work that we've actually done. And it took a month versus nine months. So I think it was a, a, good, um, a good challenge to show that actually when you really need to change gear, the agency could and can. So I think that was a good testament that it's not just, we're not just doing the same things over and over again. I think... Um, I think that the question around agencies moving forward is a really interesting one. And I think the most important thing for for me and for Fuse um, last year was actually taking time out to reflect where Fuse had come from and where we and the industry was going. And then this was particularly around July time. We think we'd just come out of lockdown one and we thought, you know, okay, the world's changed. You know, we sit with a non-local media group. We've got a huge amount of exposure to broader marketing and, and media campaigns for over sort of 400 of Omnicom's clients. We could see what was coming. And the questions that we were getting from our clients as well were very much um, outside the traditional sport and entertainment marketing remit. You know, there was questions specifically around COVID. So, you know, how do I maximize my assets in a virtual world for example um, or you know actually the commercial impact of all our activity is key now how do we do this or what does customer engagement look like in a post-covid world but there's also questions that had been accelerated by covid that had been sort of you know the past 18 months in the background but had suddenly accelerated and that was things like what's the business case for this partnership how do i get meaningful access to potential buying audiences you know what's what how do i make this partnership more creative and and how do i develop a really digital digitally first and focused package. And, and the, you know, the most interesting one, I think, for me was how do we create more performance-led partnerships based on shared success? And actually, how do I drive product sales and how can I integrate this into my e-commerce strategy? So all of these questions were coming at us and we just thought, well, actually, this is a fantastic challenge to adapt and actually look at the next sort of, you know, three to four years of fuse and the industry. And I think we took this as an opportunity to reset that course of business and identify where we had gaps, where we had existing talent, but where we really just power up as well. Mm. And because of that, the sort of key focus areas that we, we moved into was very much about accelerating digital accelerating effectiveness creative creativity creativity pardon me and and really um, moving forward into new services around commercial consultancy and 
I think that's been really, really interesting because as we move forward, clients are still asking us, you know, each month it's different questions um, and we're having to go, okay, we might not necessarily have those skill sets, but let's put a team around the other client that can answer those. So whether that's pulling in other their agency partners, it's pulling in other partners from Omnicom Media Group to answer these. And it's it's about being dynamic, taking off, I think, your agency hats and actually bringing the right specialists around the client now to answer those questions. Because one, you know, budgets are really tight. Of course, you know, I, I think one of my um, uh, one of my clients, a drinks clients, who said to me, she goes, look, it's going to be tight next year. This is, this is last year, looking at 2021. There is going to be budget, but you have got to show me how the activation that you're planning has a commercial success. If you can't, you're just going to, you know, you're just going to sort of wither on the vine. And I just thought, goodness, okay, right. We've really got to lean into this. And I think people don't want to spend a huge amount on retainers anymore as well they want more project-based teams mm. and again the same client said something really interesting to me and, and you know just, we were just talking about this before the the podcast started about where you worked and and she said to me she goes as well I think agencies need to be less about a five-year lease model and they need to be more about a we work model and I thought again that was really interesting it's more of this sort of you know buy what you need rather than buy for the whole year um, and I think having that flexibility, understanding who you need to bring in and try and work on a more of a project basis, I think are the sort of key things that we want to try and do moving forward because I think that's what clients really want at the moment. They want to you know, be able to quickly pull in the right people, taking out the pain of all this relentless change um, and having a small dynamic team to answer some of these questions, almost like a sprint, you know, have a sprint of six weeks to try and answer mm. you know, these challenging questions from the business, see if it works and move on. So I think that's been quite interesting. Yeah, what has that meant on a, on a practical level for you guys in the past year? What's it meant for your workforce? What's it meant for your pipeline and, and financial planning. And I know there's a degree of uh, make do and mend to, to the financial side of things, especially at the moment, but what, what's the what's the work that goes into, because that's, that's a pretty substantial change in outlook to go from long-term partnerships to, uh, to something that's a, a little bit more bespoke and short-term and, and, and pulled together, as you say, potentially with, uh, with uh, capacity from elsewhere. So how, what's, what's the challenge been there? Yeah, sure. And it's it's an evolution. I'm not saying it's going to happen, you know, overnight, all of our workforce are going to be working on that model. We still have, you know, a, a big chunk of our um, businesses based on uh, retainer models through long term partnerships in the way that obviously long term partnerships are locked into a three year deal. Many of our clients we work with on a multi year basis to reflect that as well. And of course, you know, that's fantastic. And, and that works for the client. That's what we want to do for the client as well. But I think um, with new clients coming in, particularly with rights holders as well, there is this um, there is this kind of question of, you know, I want to try new things. I want to try and work in a more entrepreneurial model as well and I think as a business we recognize that you know if we don't lean into some of these things and move forward with that and trial it and be have some sort of skin in the game as well with these partners then you know are we going to be out of date in the next couple of months at uh, the next couple of years so I think you know of course it's not going to happen overnight but I think if we can take you know um, if we can be more entrepreneurial and put risk 
you know, be, be a bit more uh, risk, risky with some of our, our forecasting, then I think we've, we've got to. Otherwise, you know, we're going to be left behind. And I think, you know, mother, lots of multiple other agencies are doing it from broader marketing. Um, lots more performance measures are baked into contracts, whether that's, you know, bonus models or revenue shares or we win, you win. And I think we've got to try and move forward um, as an industry as well to be more flexible with those commercial models. Get the very best of Sports Pro sent straight to your inbox. Head to sportspromedia.com and sign up for the Sports Pro Daily. You'll get a roundup of all the biggest stories, features, and opinion from our team every single morning. You'll find that all and much more at sportspromedia.com. Sports Pro, connecting and inspiring the business world of sport. Let's let's move on and just look at the next few months, just to begin with. Particularly here in the UK, we have not complete certainty, but we have a plan for um, how live events are going to look in the next four or five months. It's not going to be what they look like before, partly because of capacity, partly because of other measures that are going to affect, you know, if you had a Champions League sponsor, you would have put something in an experiential thing in a fan zone and you wouldn't have thought twice about how many people, in fact, you'd have wanted as many people as possible in that area. You might now have... um, you might yeah. now have restrictions on on uh, on on you know foot traffic and that type of thing because of social distancing. Um, it's going to be there's going to be a degree of physical activation, but it's going to be unlike anything you've done before, and for some of these events, unlike anything you'll ever do again. How does that factor into some of your planning for the the next three to six months? Really good question. And um, a lot of what the team have been doing so at the end of last year and the beginning of this year is, is scenario planning for every different eventuality. So I think we're sort of, you know, we can't wait to actually deliver something rather than spending um, you know, six months in different scenario setting. But I think that, you know, after a year of staring at screens and digital digital fatigue, I believe we'll see, you know, people desperate to, to get back out there. I know that I am and um, many people are as well. But the, the, now the industry is challenged to create those experiences um, in a COVID secure way. And I think there's a couple of things that we as a business are, are considering. And I think, you know, there's a the, the mitigations and financial risk is one of them. I think it's another one around communications, um, a third one around guest management. And then the lastly, but probably most important is around critical incident planning. Um, and I think, you know, from a pure sort of logistics point of view, uh, all these event owners must contend with huge levels of legislation now and mitigations just to follow up to reopen business. And I think we're going to have a reduction in percentage sorry reduction in the percentage of capacity at venues due to these restrictions and that is not reflected in a similar percentage in operating costs so in Mm. in many of these scenarios some of these venues are going to be sort of loss making um or or just you know trying to even just to kind of give people what we want so i think we need to be really sensitive to the particularly the events industry and i know there was a a big campaign launched on the 30th around you know we create experiences to to highlight this as well um so it does mean that many events will operate loss or, or reduce profit during this period so um, we do need to be sort of very sensitive to, to the industry and to the event venues and planners that we, that we work with. But I think more so from us from an agency, I think communication is really important. And one of the things as we're looking at is, you know, we've got to make the experience when people go back to a football stadium or to a festival as 
good as it possibly can. You know, people have been crying out for this for such a long time. So I think strong communication is key and you've got to know your audience. So, you know, whether that's using mobile app, push notifications and social media message will work brilliant for one sector of the demographic on what to expect at an event, you know, what you might need to be doing. Actually, you need a different medium when it comes to more sort of less digitally tech savvy um, generations. And I think on the ground, communication is going to be absolutely crucial. Stewards and volunteers need to be fully briefed to proactively engage with crowds um, and cues, explaining what's happening and, and why you know, we need to manage expectations on the fact that there are going to be so many cues at these, these big things. And I think, you know, from a guest management point of view for, for Fuse and other agencies, agencies, the new challenges for guest management programs and brand activations are surfacing as we learn to live through this. And we're hugely reliant on these events rights holders. So clear communication from them will allow us to plan effectively. And our staff must be really ready to react to anything that happens. So I think, you know, we've, we've got to be almost like game ready for this. We've got to plan and, and, and strategize for each different scenario mm. because you know late decision making has made it really difficult um on, on, on everyone on the events business over the past year um but i think critical incident planning is very interesting because i think for many brands who activate around major events the time at the venue is tightly controlled by the rights owner or, or event owner and um the different areas we work in so whether that be transport hotels staffing events require independent planning and this problem solving and these are now seen through a covid lens so bringing similar challenges to the rights holder staging these events and at fuse we've been effectively addressing the challenges already because you know we have robust critical incident plans and structures to prepare event staff for all these eventualities. So COVID has simply become another integrated layer to these plans. It's not just a simple standalone project. And I think, you know, venues and event organisers have evolved their critical incident management process to encompass these challenges. So we need to be much more strategic about our approach to safety and security. And we need to make sure with clients that this is a, an item on their budget that doesn't fall off because we can't put other safety elements at risk mm. because of COVID as well. And we need to be really robust. And it's the one area that I think, you know, it's incumbent on brands and agencies and event owners to seriously invest in, in safety and security. It's just something that is it's critically important moving forward as we plan these events and move into these events over the summer. Yeah. The, the, the point about cost effectiveness is an interesting one because... I suppose it, it speaks to the appetite for brands to really make the most of this return to live events. And there are going to be some who are still very much in a cost control position. And there are going to be some who, let's be honest, have had a pretty good year in spite of everything else that's gone on because the the way that they do business is, is affected in, differently from you know brands that might be selling different products. The thing that I think of... Uh, the thing that I'm thinking of at the moment is pubs are reopening in the UK next week in a limited form and brewers are able to be quite generous in some of the promotions that they run around that because they've still been selling for the last year. In <laughs> fact, they've probably been selling more than they would in, in some normal years so they can, you know, uh, help to support publicans and help to support those spaces. Um, but there will be other companies who've had a much more difficult year because the products that they sell are different. Yeah. So, I mean, what's the... What's the appetite that you're finding among brands for making a real splash, even though they know that that spend is not going to be as effective uh, as it would have been in, in a normal year? I think, um, you know, all of our clients, whether they've done, whether it's, you know, an, a takeaway delivery 
um, or it's uh, an automotive. You know, automotives haven't done particularly well. Uh, food deliveries, of course, have. I think everyone is still talking about this need for duality. Like whatever we do, we have to operate in a world that is, you know, physical and virtual. And we need to maximize those both together. We can't do one or the other anymore. And I think that's been quite interesting because you can do that on a scale, whether that's a small amount of budget or, you know, we want to really um, invest in a huge amount of activation around these properties so I think that's been quite interesting and I think you know we've had some incredible virtual events in the past years we you know substitute that gig that didn't happen or big sporting event that didn't happen and and I think you know virtual events work brilliantly where there's a central content focus and it provides an opportunity to reach a wider audience than those just watching in the venue so automatically you are you know, reaching more people, you're getting more money than you would do by just previously in 2019 organizing one of those pieces in silo. So I think they recognize that there's a bigger pie to be had here if we're doing um, activation in the dual way. I also think that um, the long-term future of particularly sports and entertainment are powerful opportunities created by digital now, and more people are putting money into that. And that's not only because that's, you know, where consumers are spending more time. You know, I think there was a piece this morning um, that came out that's something like it's we spend four hours on apps every day now. It's gone up by 30 percent versus 2019. So it's a huge amount of time that we're on our mobiles and on these on apps. And I think, you know, it's, it's interesting to see how brands and rights holders now want to use this as an opportunity to okay so if while the pandemic happened we can only entertain people at home now that venues are open it doesn't mean that we can't continue to entertain people at home Hmm. so actually there's a really nice opportunity to shift the conversation from engaging fans while they're at stadiums because they're closed to how rights holders or brands can better engage them remotely when venues are open and I think that's really interesting. And I think, you know, we recently did something for um, our client Sportsbet and Southampton FC, and we created a virtual reality um, match day experience. So you could go in and see what, a, you know, a hospitality experience would be like. And why does that have to stop now? You know, we can continue that. We can get to more people who aren't going to be able to go to that football match because it's still going to be, you know, a, a limited number of people. So I think it's actually quite interesting. It's a commercial opportunity, definitely for rights holders. Um, and I think for sports marketing agencies to reimagine how this can come to life for fans and the media is really exciting. And I think, you know, if agencies aren't talking to their clients about this, then, then they should be, because I think that is a very cost effective way to maximize their investment in a partnership, um, whether it's, you know, on a small budget or, a you know, a, a bigger scale budget. Mm. I mean, I want to come back to this idea of um, the, the, the balance between physical and digital activation and, and where fa- where brands want to uh, put their marketing spend particularly through the course of the 2020s because I think that was a trend that we were probably talking about a couple of years ago anyway but the dynamic that's different now is that for the next 18 months I mean this summer is is one thing but as we get back to full-scale events over the the course of the next year or two there will be emotionally sentimentally there'll be a, a real um rush around that around fans going back for you know the 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 point at which the first person or the last person goes to a live event is still quite away in the in the future 
Um, is, is that going to change in the medium term the way that brands think about um, what they want to be doing at, at live events? Or will they keep that kind of strategic focus of, well, in five years' time, we need to be here because our audience is much bigger outside if we can do things properly in the digital space than it is if we if we pour all of our resources into the uh, into the physical activations. I think it's a really good question. I think clients are, um, I think clients are coming you know, are looking at recovery at the moment. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say you know they're they're looking at the next five years. I think you know we've been through the phase of lockdown. We've been through this transitional stage where you know the population has been inactive, um, and you know we're we're looking at all of our media at home, and now we're in this recovery stage where we're creating new media habits, but also sort of new media investment. And, and I think what they're saying to us is, is still, I think people are still looking at sort of, you know, the short term in the next 18 months. Um, and I still think a lot of clients are saying, you know, of course we recognize that the digital element is so important. And and it is, you know, we did a, a study recently where we looked at all of the a sort of selection of um, rights holder term sheets of what they had to offer our clients and we sort of added up all the digital rights and it's actually only 18% of our inventory was digital and then you compare that to where our clients are spending their money and where their consumers are behaving and consuming media and it's you know it's like 50% of media spend in the UK is on digital and it's just it's not adding up this is no digital gap going on so of course I think as an industry, everyone recognizes that and we're pushing to be able to have more digital inventory, more digital opportunities, creating digital activations to reach more people, creating digital advertising as well. However, there is also this recognition that having that face-to-face experience is still really, really important, and particularly from some of our B2B clients who are, you know, when we're planning some of these events in the summer, they're still pushing us to look at, okay, what's What's the face-to-face option? Have we explored this? Have we explored that? Have we explored this? And we've gone through sort of three or four different iterations. Only when we've gone through that and we said, look, there isn't a solution, that's when they're like, okay, let's move this business event to a digital environment. So I think, you know, again, going back to that world of, we we know we're now living in a world of duality. I, I think that's going to be with us for a long time. And I think it's going to, you know, we're moving into a new era. And I think, you know, there's a fantastic quote from Nancy Cohn, who's a Harvard Business School professor. And she said, you know, there is no new normal. There is just a post-COVID world. And I think we need to think about that as well. Um, I think we sort of need to kind of go, OK, let's kind of rip up what we knew before. And and um, and again, sort of lead from a little bit from point to point uh, on this and, and see how we move forward over the next 18 months. There's definitely shoots of recovery. Um, as we've seen, this big deal has been happening. People are planning, people wanting to, to move into events in this summer. Um, and, you know, rights holders are, are looking at new ways of engaging brands and fans. So I think it's going to be a really interesting next 18 months, definitely for the industry. And, and I think, you know, we, we have been slightly um, known for a lack of innovation, but I think it's going to be a really exciting time. I think there's going to be a huge amount of creativity. I think it's going to be a huge amount of um, purpose-led activation coming forward as well. And I think there's going to be more deals to be done, but in a smarter way. Hello, this is Matt Rogan. I've spent my career creating and scaling businesses in sports and entertainment. And now I'm trying to find out how businesses can best make their way through these extraordinary times. 
So together with SportsPro and with leaders from inside and outside sport, I've created the Playbook series. It's the place to go for agenda-free, pragmatic advice to navigate your organisation through change. Catch up on our library of articles and podcasts and learn more about how our new labs programme can help you succeed. Head to sportspromedia.com playbook to find out more. Looking at that physical virtual hybrid model and um, the balance between those different types of activations, I don't want to get too broad with this, but is there a difference in what you are expected to deliver from those? I mean, you talked a bit about tying the digital activation to the e-commerce piece a bit earlier. How has how has that evolved over the last couple of years, and and uh, how do you think that um, brands' expectations are going to be balanced across those two things? What do you think they're going to want to get out of a physical activation versus a, a digital one? Good question. I think um, more clients are moving into questions around, you know, I need to use my partnership to convert into sales now or, you know, um, into acquisition. So I think, you know, there's always going to be certain brands who are still wanting more of your traditional assets and events and that does that job but they'll innovate how they do them and they will you know they will use digital and content to promote the pre and post um, experience but then I think you've got a whole new band of brands coming in who are actually performance-led or you know e-commerce first brands and I think if you look at say for example what you know Just Eat have just gone into a big deal with UEFA um, you know booking.com there's there's a, lots of different e-commerce and, and digital first businesses who are coming in because they are looking to acquire new customers through these rights holders fan bases and to do that they require access to data first party data they require access to content to fan bases and that's I think where you need that sticky content and social and um, content campaigns to actually then be able to track and attribute the performance of the partnership into sales Mm -hmm. so I think you know as we move forward there's definitely going to be you know, we're not suddenly going to lose all of our, you know, events. There's still that place, as I say, people are crying out for events and, you know, the power of that one-to-one experience when you're doing a, a business deal at, you know, a, a club, a football club, for example, is you can't take that away from from something or, you know, looking at how you can demonstrate um, a, uh, you know, a tech brand, for example, you know, uh, Google Cloud demonstrate their technology and, and cloud capabilities at the FA um, in a suite. And, you know, you can't take that away. You need to have that experience to do that, to you know, close a business deal. It's, it's really important. But I think as we see more brands coming in from different backgrounds who are digital first or e-commerce first, the nature of those assets have got to change. And I think that's hugely, hugely exciting. Yeah. Um, and I also think as well, you know, if you look at the way that the media landscape has been changed through the pandemic, that is going to lead how brands activate as well. And, you know, I think there's, you know, people have been starved of watching football and everything. Now that's all come back. There's been a huge spike in, 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 in TV consumption. I think it's actually like 14% increase versus 10% social media last year. So, TV has been really important, but the way people are watching it is really, really different now. And, you know, it's more and more people are watching away from linear TV. 
And if you look, you know, if you look at you know, Svold and Avoid platforms as a TV channel, there's some interesting Barb data that, that's come out recently and suggests that actually, if you did look at them as channels, Netflix would be number three after BBC and ITV1. Mm. And then you'd have YouTube and um, Amazon is seven and eight. And that's really interesting. I mean, that, that's massive. And, and you think of the explosion of the OTT channels because of things, you know, like all of the Amazon football content, you've got sport documentaries, you've got YouTube, you know, Joe Wicks get fit. People are suddenly learning how to consume media in a different way. And that's really interesting for brands to get involved. It suddenly start you start thinking, well, actually, you know, more people are watching YouTube Joe Wicks, do I need a health strategy on these platforms? So do I need to start be looking at, you know, some of these, um, you know, some of the technology partners that I need to have a relationship with? Do I need to start speaking to Samsung or LG, actually, you know, or what's the integrated partnership with YouTube and, and some of these things? So I think, you know, I, I think we'll be led as well over the next two years on how the media landscape and new media behavior, new, sorry, new media behaviors have changed because of what's happened over the last 12 months. Mm. So I guess what you're saying is that there there are always still going to be brands who have a very direct business case for buying a sponsorship, and it's about customer acquisition or direct sales to a particular demographic, and who are behaving in a particular way. Just the you know people are sitting watching the football, they're going to get a takeaway, that kind of thing. And then brands who are building mass awareness or awareness among a particular cohort who are going to some of the more traditional assets are still going to work. So I guess if you're a rights holder, you've got to think we need to develop assets for all of those different people and have them available to sell, but understand which ones are going to be valuable to which uh, which brands. And if you are a brand, you have to think, well, which assets are going to be useful to me off this menu? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, it's about, it's about innovating and it's about having that option. And I think it's been really bespoke to that brand. Um, it's not just serving you know, here's my generic sponsorship proposal for you, Mr. Brand X, Y, and Z. And I think actually um, over the last 12 months, that's what we've seen is that rights holders are saying that, you know, we've got these challenges now. We, we've, we can't seem to convert some of our partnership deals because we're not landing it with what clients want because the brand, the brand challenges are so different. You know, it's not one-stop one stop shop. So I think actually this is where we've, um, we've just, uh, we're launching as of yesterday, a new service called Fuse Ignite, which is tailored at rights holders. And the background to it was, you know, for over 10 years, we've worked with clients, we understand their challenges and what they want from partnerships. And actually, as we've just spoken about today, all the requirements are becoming increasingly complex and challenging, despite, you know, despite sat in a goldmine, some of these rights holders struggle to differentiate themselves and answer some of those different client challenges. And, you know, we've talked about some of the, the questions bef- before, but they are things like, how do I develop a digitally focused package? How do I drive product sales? And how do I have a more performance-led partnership? And I think that's where we've been able to come in and alleviate the burden of keeping up with this relentless pace of change because, you know, there'll be another brand coming out in the, in the next month with some other challenge. And I think we're able to now help pull these things together through Fuse, our own insight team, our own um, experience with brands through Fuse, but also across Omnicom Media Group, and also tap into Omnicom Media Group's unrivaled um, tools and data as well to answer some of these, these challenges. And, and that's why, you know, we, we started to, to work with rights holders over the last 
12 months and we've got you know some fantastic clients now including formula one um england netball arsenal and the british fashion council and we've been able to do this through our four core pillars so we've got our proposition so we can help rights holders have a much more interesting proposition and sell landed in that brand's brand and business objectives and making it fit for those modern day demands of, of modern marketing audiences so how we can um how we can really look at getting a better understanding of a rights holders data to commercialize their data but also serve it up in a way that is going to be attractive to a partner and i think um the other option that we have as well is around digital. So again, we talked a lot about that today, but how we can help a rights holder have better digital plan and assets to address some of those digital first brands as well. And then lastly is e-commerce. So again, working with our partners at Omnicom Media Group, um, our e-commerce specialist called Transact, we're able to look at how we can um, prepare and optimize their platforms to sell more stuff for themselves, but also for their partners, but also help them um, look at what that e-commerce product sales strategy can be as well. Mm. So that's what we've actually learned over the last 12 months coming out of it, that you know, it's, you've got to be flexible depending on that brand. And we've seen a huge amount of success, actually. I think the British Fashion Council, through our work, they've actually been able to sign three very, very different partners because they're sell and their proposition has really landed and it's about telling that story in a really simple way as well and taking all the complexity away from the brand and the rights holder and being able to do it in a sort of flexible team that we talked about at the beginning of the session you know pulling in the best experts and using it as a kind of sprint rather than you know the rights holder having to sign up three or four different multiple agencies so again it's more efficient and more and more and more cost effective for them as well yeah so this um this service this consultancy fuse ignite where is it come from is this is this a result of the work that you've been doing since the spring of last year or is this something that uh that you were steering the business towards to to have this kind of capability in-house um, and this is just the time that it's that it's launched. Um, a bit of both, if I'm honest with you. So pre-COVID, um, as I, we had a lot of conversations with um, rights holders, so sort of friends and colleagues, rights holders, and we were talking about this digital gap because, again, when you know they're they're approaching our clients with these proposals, we were just saying, look, there's this is you know there's not enough assets that are going to work for our for our clients here. So you need to think about how you can offer or serve up something which is you know going to fit their business more. And then as we went through COVID, these challenges and questions got just quite accelerated. And we started helping a few um, clients, you know, helping them, you know, some of the questions we were getting is that we've got a renewal for a, a brand. They are going, moving towards a, um, a digital first proposition. Can you help us do that? Uh, the second question was, you know, we need to understand how we can be fit for purpose to go and attract an econ partner they've obviously it's a big spender in category how do we set up our estate and how do we then make it attractive to an e-commerce partner as a category so from there it evolved really and um, picked up a, a few really interesting clients and from there we thought well actually this is something really interesting and, and going back to the learnings from the whole of the year we just thought this is something that we think that we can really drive forward and you know we're not a sales agency we're not competing with other sales agencies but we generally thought there was a gap in the market to provide commercial consultancy for rights holders in a way that helped them address those demands of modern marketing and where does this sit alongside the wider 
Fuse agency. And so, as I say, it's a very complementary. Um, so, you know, Fuse has always been very much brand sided. You know, we we've always been um, working very closely on, on brands through strategy activation and research and evaluation. So this is the first time that we've gone out to market specifically to target rights holders. So, but it, it fits very complementary with it. As I say, we're not going out to um, to sell. We're not a sales agency, so therefore it's very complementary. Um, and again, I think that's why it's attractive to rights holders because I think it's our access to insights from clients at a very senior level, CMO, CEO level, not only through Fuse's clients, but through our agency partners at Omnicom Media Group, that we're able to really have a, a true understanding of the challenges that brands are facing and what they need their partnerships to, to serve up and deliver for them. I mean, this uh, it brings us back around quite nicely as, as we're wrapping up to some of the things we were talking about at the top, which is the role that agencies have in sports marketing and sponsorship. Um, and the way that not just COVID, but, you know, the, the kind of digital transition has, has challenged some of that thinking. What services do you see yourself providing and where do you, where do you think that the, the market is going in, in that respect? I think, you know, it's been an interesting time for agencies over the, the crisis. I think, you know, and I can only talk for, um, you know, I only assume of my competitors have they've probably gone through the same thing that we have in terms of you know crisis management, reacting, and then a time for reflection, and how do we operate as a as a business moving forward? Um, I think you know there's unfortunately we've said goodbye to some of our um, some of our uh, competitors in the market, which is incredibly sad. But then there's also been a a sort of a, a number of startups kind of bounce through because of it which has been really interesting who have got different offerings and different uh, sort of agile working structures and say for example um i think can, can quote the, the the space between by lisa parfit and, and the x synergy or x engine guys who've set up and that's you know a different model which is fantastic and um and dominic curran who set up uh, gravity road sport which is very digitally focused using tech and data um with sports so i think you know, those two are good examples of the future of the agency model needs to be looking at where the industry is going. So, you know, flexible models, different styles of working, and then actually how data and digital and tech can power up sports marketing. And I think it's actually really healthy to have these new startup businesses because it used to be always the same, you know, five or six big um, agencies that would be pitching. And I think actually having some fresh competition and fresh structures is really, really healthy for our industry. So I think, you know, moving forward, I think we've got to constantly check and challenge ourselves as businesses. You know, are we actually answering our clients' needs? Are our business models out of date? You know, I've spent a lot of time with my clients understanding what their business needs. You know, are we answering them? What more could we be doing? And we constantly review that on a quarterly basis. And I think, you know, if we need to change models, then we can um, very quickly. So I think we've got to, I think, be a lot more I suppose a lot more inside out and challenge ourselves a lot mm. more. And I think, you know, what all got us here in the last 10 years is not going to get what us, it's not going to get us to the next five years, I think. So we've got to evolve. Yeah. How, how much is some of those changes cyclical? If we can take as far as possible, if we can take the pandemic crisis out of this and, and think about, um, you know, think about that as an accelerant, maybe rather than, uh, rather than a, a, something that's, Force the change that wasn't going to happen. 
you know, how much is there in a service industry like the agency space? How much is there going to be this you know, this uh, process where agencies scale and then the work for whatever reason ends up going elsewhere, and then you have smaller agencies who are able to identify um, niches and work into niches that and 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 ways of doing things that bigger companies don't have the same agility to do, and then you get the return to scale again um over a, a period of good times how and how much is this uh unprecedented and different from from what we've seen before it's a really interesting question actually and I, i'm just smiling actually because i think you know the last time we saw this was with the um with the recession in 2008 which is when fuse was born um and you know at that time it was you know clients having to justify their sponsorship spend it was no longer the whim of a ceo and fuse which was part of the um media business could answer those questions quite easily because we had access to data and insights and where the media and marketing spend was going and, and access to those cmos so i think that coupled with the fact that clients had all these different sports agencies or entertainment agencies they needed to consolidate. And again, that's how fees grew because the power of, you know, the media integration to, you know, actually be more integrated, but have bring those cost efficiencies down, but also being able to really answer some of those questions at that time was really how we sprung up as an agency. And no one knew us. No one knew who we were. And we started doing business from Vodafone and Standard Chartered and Visa. And suddenly then, you know, we were on pitch lists with some of the, the big boys. And so I think that's probably the, the last time that we saw a real shift of different agencies coming through. Um, you know, of course, there have been in the last couple of years, smaller specialist agencies coming through who are now mainstream thinking of creative agencies like Dark Horses, who are a fantastic agency that we work with very closely to having that very specialism in creative and sports marketing. And, you know, they've done some fantastic work in the short time that they have been going um, but now they're again they're part of the the sort of the established the established sports marketing agency crew. Um, so I think there is a bit of um, you know crisis always shakes things up absolutely. And I think also it, it depends on you know the client questions. If people are asking for I want more creativity, people are always going to pop their head up and answer them. I want more digital. Um, you know people are going to jump up and, and answer those questions. So I think it's a little bit around you know as you say, secular kind of crisis moments, but also I think it's about who is nimble enough to identify what these clients want and how you can set up a service to address them very quickly. So how do you now, over the next period, make sure that Fuse is one of those organisations that can stay nimble enough? Good question. Um, I think, you know, we pride ourselves on being um, restless, as I said earlier, and and always looking onwards. And I think we do, we constantly check and challenge ourselves and say, are we answering those questions? Are we looking at different commercial models? And I think, you know, we're very entrepreneurial as an agency. And I think we've got that flexibility within a framework to be able to set up new services, to look at different ways of getting paid, to go into joint ventures with, you know, a rights holder or with a different um, agency partner. So for example, we have a, a joint venture with um, Dark Horses as well um, on our, our Nissan clients. And I think it's it's about being really brave. If things don't work, then scrap it, move on, take the learnings. And I think that's, if we can, as a business, ensure that that ethos and leadership style is still inherent in the business, then I think we will be able to move forward um, with the times. I think, you know, if we ever get complacent and get reliant on what we've always done, then that's the problem. Louise, thanks very much for your time. 
Brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. The Sports Pro Podcast is published by Sports Pro Media. The producer is Ed Dixon.